Father, we thank you for this day, for this day of rest and worship and fellowship. We pray that in this time of Sunday school, you would help us to learn more about you and about your word. In Christ's name, amen. So, what are the two sacraments that are given to the New Testament church? Baptism and Lord's Supper. It's interesting that neither of these are given to us with any explanation. Do you ever think about that? Baptism, we're just told to baptize. And we're supposed to figure out what it means. We're supposed to figure out the relevance, the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The same with the Lord's Supper. The first time we encounter... The Lord's Supper is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, beginning in verse 26. So could someone read Matthew 26, verse 26 to 29? Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. So, the first time we encounter the Lord's Supper, there in Matthew's Gospel, it takes place in the context of a meal, as they were eating. So there's something about a meal, and there's controversy over what that meal was. We know that it was on the Passover. We don't know specifically that it was a... And and that he would come and he would observe the Passover with them. Well, so I think that's where most people end up. But let's understand the Bible doesn't tell us. <laughs> we We have to end up there. All we know is that Jesus was eating. And that they were having a meal. And that it was... The Last Supper, as Leonardo da Vinci painted for us, and all of those things. But we're not specifically told that the Lord's Supper replaces the Passover. We're not specifically told that the Lord's Supper is in any way, in any way connected to the Passover. We've got to do theology. We've got to say, okay, where does this come from? Why is Jesus coming up with something radically new? Is this completely different? Or is this somehow connected to the Old Testament rituals? And I would argue <laughs> that since he's only given us two, if we are going to, and I think you're right that it is the Passover, but if we're going to connect the Passover to the Lord's Supper, then we should be connecting something else in the Old Testament to baptism. But I'm not going to go there because... Uh, we closed out baptism the last time. But what we're told in Matthew 26 
is there are two elements. There's bread and there's wine. And then the other interesting thing is that in some way, this is... pointing us to the kingdom, uh, the word I'm looking for is eschatology, but that's a difficult word. Um, it's, It's in some way pointing to the kingdom breaking in. In some way, the Lord's Supper is connected with the kingdom breaking into the world. When Jesus says, I'm not going to drink of this with you again until I drink of it with you in the kingdom. There, there's something, there's something preparatory. There's something anticipated. There's some relationship between this supper and the kingdom of God breaking into the world. Now, where that kingdom is, what what that kingdom is, becomes uh, significant for the Lord's Supper. If Jesus is partaking of this in the kingdom, is the kingdom now? Are we in that kingdom now? And we are partaking of the Lord's Supper together with Jesus Christ, or is it pointing us forward to some perfect kingdom, which Paul seems to indicate in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, that we are to take of this until he comes again. But there's some connection between the Lord's Supper and the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom that Christ institutes. So my point, in, in bringing this up is simply to hopefully uh, remind us that we have a lot of ideas about the Lord's Supper that have been sort of put together from other places of Scripture, put together from other points of theology, but the, 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 the sacrament itself is simply introduced in the same way that baptism is simply introduced. We're told to go and baptize. And now we've got to figure out what baptism is. Uh, we've got to figure out what its connection to the Old Testament is. We've got to figure out why we're, we're supposed to baptize. What is the significance of baptism to the believer, to the church, etc.? In the same way, Jesus simply institutes the supper. He breaks the bread and... From, from that basis, I don't think we would get that this is supposed to be a regular occurrence. Absolutely. I would agree. I would agree. They both they both focus on redemption. They both both focus on the blood, uh, the the communion meal uh, that that God has. All of those things, uh, and and we are to to remember these things. So so the only point that I'm wanting to get at here <laughs> is that 
If we look at the Lord's Supper simply through the lens of Matthew chapter 26, we're going to come up with a lot of a lot more questions than answers. And that really is why the Lord's Supper has been so controversial uh, over the centuries. Uh, because you can come up with a lot of different answers on this. When Jesus says, this is my body, uh, are we going to say that the bread is the body of Christ? Jesus says it is. Uh, and so you've got a group of Christians. Uh, you've got not uh, obviously the Roman Catholics, but then you've got the Lutherans. Uh, and Martin Luther is famous for he slammed his fist on the table and he pointed to that verse and he said, this is my body. Uh we're going to take the word of God literally. This is Jesus Christ's body because Jesus Christ says it's his body. And you've got John Calvin who comes along and goes, this is a metaphor. Uh, this is very clearly a metaphor. If we are going to say this is the body of Christ, then it means every time we take the Lord's Supper, we are re-sacrificing Jesus Christ. And so to say this is the body of Christ is to undercut the once-for-all work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, but you've got a lot of different understandings, a lot of different opinions uh, that have developed over the centuries, and the reason for that is that we're simply not told. Uh, we're, we're not given the very detailed descriptions uh, that we need for understanding the Lord's Supper. So the Confession, section 1, says, Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, called the Lord's Supper, to be observed in his church unto the end of the world, for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself and his death, the sealing all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. Now, before I unpack that, did you get all of that from Matthew chapter 26? No. No. <laughs> You don't get from Matthew chapter 26 that it's to be uh, uh, celebrated perpetually until he comes again. You certainly don't get from Matthew chapter 26 what the purpose of this bread is, what the purpose of this cup is. Jesus simply says, take and eat. Uh, he, he just says, do this. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. And then later, Paul fleshes it out for us a little bit but really not a lot. <laughs> uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, can someone read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 uh, down to, let's say, verse 30. Same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant 
So, there are two pieces of data that are added in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Two, two things that are added to this list already that we've got from Matthew chapter 26. Anybody want to take a guess on what those two things are, or at least one of those two things? The discernment passage. And we'll just put that under the warning. There's a warning, there's a very serious warning that Paul says some people are dead because they've been doing this wrong. What's the other one? Right. Right. There's a regular basis, a regularity. Okay, so I'll I'll add that. I'll say that's three. Because, <laughs> yeah, you don't get that from Matthew 26, that we're to do this regularly. But it's a phrase in there that people read over real quickly and don't realize just how, boom, this is, this is new stuff here. He says this cup is what? The new covenant. So, right there in these three editions, all of a sudden you start seeing people disagreeing. <laughs> uh, what is the nature of the warning? Is Paul telling people you have to make sure that you have no sin in your life. You have to be in prayer. You have to have a season of preparation. You have to examine all of your life and all of your heart. And if you come to the Lord's table with any sin, then you are coming in an unworthy manner and you may be sick or you may end up dying. Because God takes the warnings of the Lord's table seriously. So what is that discernment? What is the, the, the nature of that warning there? Uh, clearly it's serious enough that God's going to kill people for it. So what is discerning the body? The second is the regular component, which again immediately gets into controversy. How regular? <laughs> uh, do we do it? Once a year? Do we do it once a quarter? Do we do it once a month? Do we do it once a week? Uh, all of these are positions that have been taken by the church over the years, and for various reasons. Uh, one, of the, one of the things with, with quarterly observance of the Lord's Supper, it actually arose in the United States during the early period when you had to have... Uh, uh, one minister would have five or six different congregations. It was called circuit writing. 
he would ride a circuit. And the Methodists were famous for this. The Methodists made circuit riding, uh, you know, kind of, when you think of a circuit riding preacher, you often think of a Methodist preacher. But it wasn't just the Methodists, it was the Baptists, it was the Presbyterians. And for the Presbyterians in particular, uh, you must be an ordained minister in order to administer the Lord's Supper. And so when you've got one minister that has five congregations, he can't administer the Lord's Supper every week uh, or, or you know, each congregation because he can't visit them every week. And so they often end up with quarterly. Any, any of you older southern people uh, remember camp meetings? Yeah. Camp meetings were always a big thing in, in the colonies in the United States. The United States has got a deep tradition of camp meetings where people would, in a, in a denomination, they would all come together and it would be a week or so or maybe three or four days, a long weekend of, of preaching and prayer and revival and all this sort of stuff. Well, the camp meetings initially started out because people weren't having the Lord's Supper celebrated. Uh, they didn't have a minister that would come, and so they began organizing, let's all get together, and us two or three hundred people will have three or four ministers, and we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so it became, you know, the, the, the pattern of it simply grew out of the, the reality of living in a place where you just don't have a pastor uh, coming every week. Right, and so, so, but uh, I would not necessarily disagree with him. I would just say that what he's doing is trying to justify a practice already in place. I don't think anybody said, hey, there were quarterly feasts in the Old Testament. Let's do the quarterly Lord's Supper. The, the quarterly Lord's Supper grew out of we've got a pro- necessity. We've got a problem that needs to be addressed. And, and so later people come along and say, well, quarterly is, you know, there, there's a biblical warrant for that. Uh, but, but the initial motivation was simply, we can't, we can't celebrate without an ordained minister, and we just don't have ordained ministers every, every week. So, so from, the, from the beginning, you've got a, a difference regarding uh, the, the regularity of it. Uh, John Calvin believed in the weekly celebration. The city of Geneva did not want him to do that. And so he did not institute weekly celebration in Geneva. However, when he went to Strasbourg, uh, they gave him a free hand in Strasbourg, and he instituted weekly Lord's Supper in Strasbourg. Then when he went back to Geneva, he went back to the occasional, uh, because the, the city council at Geneva really did not want a weekly Lord's Supper. Uh, and I just don't remember their arguments off the top of my head. But, but the, so 1 Corinthians 11 brings three elements, three new elements into it. The first is that warning element. The second is as often as you do this. And the third is the new covenant. 
Now, for an Old Testament believer, the New Covenant is immediately going to draw your attention to what? The Old Covenant. <laughs> and which which passage in particular? Jeremiah 31. So, now, there's actually some controversy. Is this what Paul is speaking about? I believe absolutely this is what Paul is speaking about. He's speaking about the Jeremiah 31 passage. The reason it's controversial is supposedly the people in Corinth had no clue about Jeremiah. They're Corinthians. Uh, they're, they're Gentile converts. They're not students of the Old Testament. However, as soon as I say that, let's push back because Paul regularly brings the Old Testament into all of his teaching. Uh, and so I think when he refers to the New Covenant, he's referring to Jeremiah 31. Now, the problem with Jeremiah 31 is that it seems to say that in the New Covenant, there's going to be a personal relationship, unmediated, between the believer and their God. So, in other words, we're not going to need priests. We're not going to need a temple. We are going to have this direct relationship with God. And Jesus says this direct, if, if we're accepting that Jeremiah 31 is the new covenant he's pointing us to, then we're accepting that in this Lord's Supper, we are celebrating our direct relationship to God. There's something about this supper that speaks of the Jeremiah 31, because Jesus says this is the new covenant. Uh, and so there's something in the Lord's Supper that speaks of that direct relationship that you and I have with God. Now, just as a quick aside, um, I know, you know, most of us here are evangelical. Uh, so, so you pretty much have grown up in a Baptist church, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, whatever. You've got, you've got an evangelical background. The Roman Catholic Church does not believe that it is appropriate for the individual Christian to take both elements of the supper. And the reason is that this becomes the body of Christ, this becomes the blood of Christ, and you as a believer, are in danger when you drink from the cup, some of Christ's blood might drip down on your chin, some might drip down on the floor, your hand might be a little shaky. So if you are, how many have taken communion in Roman Catholic churches? Okay, so when you go to take communion in a Roman Catholic church, Describe the process physically. What do you do? Walk you walk forward. And do they put it in your hand? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so that's the new. That's the new liberal Roman Catholics. Yeah. So so the old traditional Roman Catholics, you kneel down. And the priest actually has a little tong. He doesn't even use his fingers. 
uh, he, he picks it up with a little tong and places it on you, you know, hold your tongue out and the wafer goes onto your tongue so that there's no danger of the body of Christ or the blood of Christ being spilled or poured out. There you go. They used to not let you take of the wine at all uh, because some might spill. But but now they've gone to, it's called intinction. Uh, now, the problem with all of that is that I don't think that that takes Jeremiah 31 seriously enough. Uh, Jeremiah 31, if it's saying anything, is saying that you and I have an immediate connection to grace, to God, to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, not through a priest, not through a church, but this immediate personal connection. That's what Jeremiah 31 is saying. And so, there should be in us an, uh, an examination. What is that examination? There should be in us a regularity. How often is that? And there's some connection to the new covenant, this immediate connection of the believer with God. And so, there's our biblical data. Just, just starting from the Bible, this is what we come up with uh, in, in terms of the Lord's Supper. Now, our confession, and basically that's what chap, or section 1 of chapter 29 is saying. Uh, it adds some things to that. So, our Lord Jesus, the night when he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood called the Lord's Supper to be observed in his church under the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. Now, thus far, we've gotten everything that... So, thus far, I think we all agree that that's what the Scripture teaches, right? It's to the end of the world. It's to be celebrated regularly. He instituted it. And it's for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his blood. Sure, yeah, as, as often as you do this in remembrance of me. So there's not a, there's not a scriptural principle. That's why we have, we have different uh, understandings of how often. And I'm not saying one is sinful and the other is holy. Uh, some believe that monthly, some believe quarterly, some believe annually, some believe weekly. Uh, there, there's not really a specific, you shall do this this many times. Well, I would say as often as you eat this bread. <laughs> this is a unique thing. This isn't just me sitting down and having a peanut butter sandwich. Sure, but there's a there's a there there's something about this meal <laughs> that that Christ institutes. It's the Passover meal. I agree. Um, <laughs> So, um, 
Sure, yeah. And that, that's, that gets into part of the warning thing. Uh, are you remembering Christ in this? Are you, are you engaging this meal properly? Uh, and if you're not engaging it properly, then it's a problem. So, what you're touching on is very much a debate, and we'll get into that. I was looking at my chapter to see. Um, I think it's in sections 2 and 6, 2, 6, 7. Anyway, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. What, in what way is, is Christ present? Uh, and... And so our confession does open that up for us. Yeah. Well, and and don't feel alone in your frustration because this is the entire Christian church for the past 600 years that have been arguing about it. (laughs) So that's a great question. That's the right question. Um, and again, our confession will get into it, how we prepare ahead of time. But, um, so I'm not looking at my confession, so my quotation may be off, but true believers do properly prepare themselves, uh, for this by examining their own hearts, their own lives, uh, seeing if there are sins that they are harboring, seeing if there are relationships that need to be uh, mended and healed. So it's what we should be doing regularly, obviously. Uh, we don't just do this every once in a while. Uh, we should be regularly examining ourselves, regularly seeking to, to be in harmony with the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so I think that is, uh, well, that, that's where our confession goes with it. Some of the debate here, Paul, some of the problem is we tend to look at the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 11, verse 26 and following. Paul starts the Lord's Supper conversation in verse 1. And he's talking about when you come together for this meal, some of you are drunk, some of you are stuffed, others are going away hungry. So clearly the discerning of the body seems to be we're one. We're not bringing our own class divisions uh, into this. There, there's a unity that, that we're to hold. But, uh, but yeah, so that, that's, that's the right question, and we will flesh that out a lot more uh, in coming weeks.
But it is not a meal. But it is not a meal. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I would say what we do back then would not be a meal either. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a good question. Good question. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll try to flesh that out more. But I am over time. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, so let me close the prayer and let's go into our fellowship. Father, we pray that even now as we prepare for worship that we would be doing so through the lens of the Lord's Supper, this place of unity with one another and unity with Christ, uh, that we would be nourished in that, that we would desire that with all our heart, soul, and strength. Uh, We pray in Christ's name. Amen.